Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, it dominates my thoughts. I can usually ignore it for a little while if I'm stuck in a meeting for an hour or two or if we're doing something that's particularly interesting or fun, but, but eventually hunger is going to reign supreme. Now, maybe that's not theologically correct, but it's certainly got a pragmatic truth to it. Bit by bit, my attention span shrinks. My ability to concentrate goes down, and, and more and more, I'm just thinking about lunch. When Snickers first released those brilliant commercials about not being yourself when you're hungry, I actually thought those were real videos from my life. But hunger, at least, can be ignored for a little while. Thirst on the other hand, is so maddening that we really can't ever ignore it, can we? We get weak, we feel miserable, we whine, we get angry, we complain, we talk endlessly about it. If you have kids, you know what happens. It's not good. All we can think about is getting a drink. And I know for myself, I can tell it's really getting bad because I start thinking fondly about some disgusting bottle of water that's been boiling in my car all summer long and and I know what it's going to taste like, but, but you know, if you are thirsty enough, that hot plastic-flavored swill is really satisfying. That's, that's the power of thirst. And so I want you to think about hunger and thirst for a moment. I want you to remember some time in your life where you've either been powerfully hungry or profoundly thirsty. And I want you to think about all the different ways it affected your mind and your body, the way you thought, the, the things you prioritized at that moment, your abilities to focus, and think about just how eager you were to get something to eat or something to drink. Have you, have you got that in your mind yet? I think we've all had some limited experience with that. Because I want you to hold on to that because I'm asking you to do this because we are talking about the fourth beatitude of Jesus this morning. And, And in this, we are told that those who are citizens of God's kingdom are blessed if they hunger and thirst eagerly for something other than food and drink. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus proclaims, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, we've just been thinking about physical hunger and thirst. And so the question then is that with that in our mind, do we really hunger like that for righteousness? Do we really thirst as if we are utterly parched and desperate for righteousness? Now, before we answer this, I want to make sure we clearly understand the words of Jesus here. When when he talks about those who who are hungering and thirsting, he is using words that specifically describe hungering for food and and, and thirsting for drink. And he is doing this to describe or paint a picture of the urgency and sense of desperation that we should have for righteousness. And if you think about his audience, he's talking to a group of people who are growing, who are living in a, a fairly poor desert country. So most of them would have had firsthand experience with the idea of hunger and with thirst. It would have been very real to them, been very familiar, very powerful. And he is trying to evoke those memories that they have of the, the sharpness, the, the pain, the longing, the eagerness, the the desperation and obsession that you get with food or drink when you are truly profoundly hungry or thirsty. 
And so when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he means that there is blessing awaiting us if we are truly, eagerly, desperately passionate for righteousness. Now, as Jesus discusses righteousness here, we should be clear, he's not really speaking about being declared righteous. Now, praise God, all who trust in Jesus Christ are declared righteousness. We are credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And thank heavens, because our righteousness is always short of God's mark in this area. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. He is talking about actually being righteous. And righteousness is defined as holy and upright living in accordance with God's pattern or standard. Righteousness describes a pattern of life that conforms to God's will as expressed in Scripture, God's Word. So to hunger and thirst after righteousness is to be zealously eager to live a life in obedience to God's will and God's standard as expressed in God's Word. Now, just like all of the other qualities and virtues and and habits that are blessed in the Beatitudes, righteousness was perfectly and fully demonstrated for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we look at his life as a model of righteousness and of hungering for righteousness, we see there are two aspects or two dimensions of righteousness for which we should be hungering. The first is a hunger for personal righteousness righteousness, in which the blessed eagerly desire to live a righteous life in obedience to the Lord. We see this modeled in the life of Jesus, who was perfectly righteous, who never sins, not even once, who was always fully obedient to God's will at all times, even as we see him struggling in the garden with his own personal desire to not suffer a horrible death, to not carry the weight of sin in the world, and yet he is obedient to the will of God. He is perfectly righteous even to suffering and dying on the cross. For those who follow Jesus, our command is to become like him, righteous and obedient to the will of God. As God affirms both the Old and the New Testament, we are to be holy because God himself is holy. But then there's a second dimension or second aspect to the thirst for righteousness, which is a thirst for righteousness in the world around us. That the world around us and those in it would more fully conform to God's pattern for life. We see this as well in Jesus' life. We see him mourn the unrighteousness of his beloved Jerusalem. We see him feel deep compassion for the crowds that were suffering from the unrighteousness in life, that were lost, that were aimless, that were impoverished, sick, oppressed, and suffering. Matthew 9.36 records, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And seeing the unrighteousness of these crowds, he not only sought to improve their life eternally, he sought to improve their life Presently, but if we're in the context of that particular passage, he also immediately charged the disciples to be praying for more workers and for them to be out addressing the unrighteousness in the world. And then we see that Jesus also presents the blessing. That those who hunger for righteousness, both in themselves and in the world around them, will be satisfied. Now, satisfied is a word that in English means a lot of different things. It can mean settle for, 
Right now, we'll just settle for something. I'm satisfied, which usually means we're not. But the Greek word here literally describes eating and drinking your fill. So the promise of Jesus is that if we are burning with a desire to be righteous and to make the world more righteous, we will be filled, experiencing that righteousness through Jesus Christ. So the first big question we need to wrestle with this morning is do you hunger for personal righteousness? This is a question that I have been dealing with for a week now. It is extraordinarily convicting. Because we hunger for a lot of things in our Christian walk, right? We, we hunger for an experience of God. We hunger for mountaintop experiences, like we get at retreats and at, at supercharged conferences with awesome speakers and loud rock bands. We hunger for emotional and spiritual highs. We we hunger to do big things for God. We hunger for our churches to be fuller, for their budgets to be bigger, for our worship to be even more powerful, for, for some of our rougher edges to be smoothed out and for our problems in life to be solved. But how many of us truly hunger for righteousness in our life? How many of you frequently pray, Lord, make me more righteous. I think a lot of times we really functionally pray. We never say the words, functionally pray, Lord, please don't change me. But seriously, the question is, how often do we truly pray, Lord, make me more righteous? I, I think even when we are honest with ourselves and we are admitting our unrighteousness and our sins and our shortcomings, how many of us are just, just dying to fix them? Or do we just ask for forgiveness and then go back to the same old thing we were already doing? We love to celebrate God's grace and His love and His willingness to forgive our sins, and we absolutely should. These these should be celebrated as often as possible. These are the cornerstones of our faith. These are the things that, that make Christ so glorious, that make God so merciful. But, but does any part of us desperately hunger and thirst to be righteous like our Savior? To be holy because our God is holy? If we call Jesus our Lord and Savior, then as citizens of God's kingdom, we need to have that hunger and thirst that he's talking about here for personal holiness, for getting our acts together in God's grace and power and to, to actually start kicking our sin habit on a long-term basis. In Romans 6.15, Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Right? I think too often North American Christians, we, we kind of want to go with that. We're saved by grace, so I don't have to change anything about my life. But Paul says, by no means. We are to hunger and thirst for personal righteousness, even as we are savoring the glorious grace of God by which we have been saved by faith through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if we don't hunger and thirst for personal righteousness, we are cheapening the gift of salvation, the gift of grace that may be free for us, but that Jesus paid a terrible price for with his own blood and suffering. The Apostle John presents a sobering analysis on this topic in 1 John 3, 9 and 10. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So let me repeat my earlier question. Are you hungry, thirsty, eager, desperate, burning to do anything in order to become more righteous, more in conformance to God's pattern for your life? And to be clear, this is not about trying to save ourselves by good works. This is about taking seriously the call of discipleship that says, yes, I know my sins have been forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. But now I recognize I must change the patterns of my life so that I stop committing these same sins over and over again or, or adopting new ones. See, each of us has certain sins that continue to appeal to us even after we are saved. Sometimes we get new ones then. Sins that call to us in different situations. Maybe it's when we're tired or maybe it's when we're triumphant. Maybe it's when we're all alone. Maybe it's when we're surrounded by friends. Maybe it's when we're stressed or, or maybe it's when we're very relaxed. Maybe it's when we're in pain or maybe it's when we're in luxurious comfort. But each of us has sins that call to us uniquely, that affect us uniquely, that are difficult to resist, that frequently we try to rationalize and, and justify and explain away and say, well, it doesn't really hurt anyone. It's not that bad. It's my personal business. But the call to righteousness says, are we willing to do anything to stop committing those sins? Even the ones we enjoy. Are we willing to reject the things that we like, but God doesn't? And to begin doing the things that God likes, but perhaps we don't think we will. Now, the Old Testament gives us a perfect illustration of what genuine hunger for righteousness looks, at, looks like, no matter the cost. The story of Joseph is told in Genesis. As a young man who was sold into slavery by his own older brothers... He found himself a stranger in a strange land. And I think it would have been understandable if he had sunken into bitterness and angerness and resentment and a desire for revenge and, and simply a, a concept of I've had everything stripped away from my life, so I'm just going to take what I can for me and make the best of it. But instead, he practiced a righteous devotion to his master that God honored. But unfortunately for Joseph, his master's wife was attracted to this strapping young man. And one day she offered him a very powerful and dangerous temptation when nobody was around. And let's face it, he's a young man. He was probably affected by this particular temptation. But he was hungry for righteousness. And in his hunger, he did exactly what Paul tells us to do in 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So unlike some modern-day Hollywood movie where he would give in to the passion of the moment and somehow he would feel good about this fact, Joseph didn't. He didn't give in to the feelings, the urgencies, and the temptations of that moment. Instead, he ran away. Literally ran away. 
And in his desperate hunger for personal righteousness, he ran right out of his clothes. Because this one was still holding on to him when he started running. And this let her frame him as the aggressor in the situation and landed him in an Egyptian prison for years. Now that's a very high price to pay for personal righteousness. Are you prepared to pay a price like that? Am I? Are we starving to pay a price like that for righteousness? I mean, Joseph running out of the house in his boxers and landing in prison for it is exactly what hunger and thirst for personal righteousness looks like. So do you hunger like that? Do I? This is what I've had to wrestle with for a week. Well, God blessed Joseph's righteousness. He guarded him in that prison, which was exactly where he needed to be to do the work of God, to eventually save not only the entire nation of Egypt from famine, but his own family, the ones who sold him into slavery, the future people of God. And the promise to us from Jesus is that if we genuinely hunger and thirst like this after personal righteousness, no matter the cost, we will be satisfied. And remember, to be satisfied is to be filled. So Jesus promises we will be filled with righteousness if we pursue it. As Jesus explains in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Scripture teaches that as we hunger after and pursue righteousness, personal righteousness, we receive it through a combination of factors that include one part fleeing from temptation, one part self-discipline, never a popular word in North American culture, and one part the work of the Holy Spirit. So if I or the Holy Spirit have managed to kindle in you an interest in hungering after personal righteousness this morning, I urge you to pursue each of these things. A willingness to flee, a true desire for self-discipline, and nurturing the life of the Spirit. Why does Scripture seem to clearly come back to these same three elements over and over again to describe how we achieve righteousness? Because if we only do one or we only do two, there are situations where we will fail over and over and over again and wonder why. We've already talked about fleeing, and I believe the Bible is absolutely literal on this point. There are some temptations for each of us, and it's personal. What affects me doesn't affect you at all, and vice versa, that are so powerful that the best thing we can do is run away. And it's probably going to be terribly embarrassing and inconvenient. But when we encounter situations where we have failed over and over and over again, it's insanity to continue doing it. We just need to run away no matter the cost. Since we can't flee every single situation, though, if we thirst for righteousness, we also need to thirst for self-discipline to withstand temptation. Now, we could talk for hours on this particular subject, and we won't this morning. But I do want to introduce a powerful tool to help with self-discipline, with resisting temptation. And it's one that we're actually going to be talking about and promoting quite heavily in a few weeks. But think of this as a sneak preview. It is something that is radically old. It is something we are quick to encourage our kids to do, but 
try really hard to avoid doing ourselves. I'm talking about memorizing scripture. I can imagine the groans. A little part of you dying inside. There are a lot of very powerful effects that come as we store up God's word. But one of them is that it disciplines us. It reminds us very close to our heart and mind of God's pattern for our life. And then it equips us to resist. Psalm 119.11 proclaims, I have stored up your word in my heart. That's scripture memorization. That I might not sin against you. That's the reason. As we fill our hearts with God's word, what we find is that we crowd out all the other filth that's festering there. It crowds out our pride and our anger and our lust and our greed and our desire for power and all that other stuff in the cesspool. Your, your special blend of cesspools differ from my special blend of cesspool, but we've all got stuff in there that needs cleaning out. God's word is a mighty tool that fills us with righteousness while at the same time it actually softens our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can more effectively work the transformation So indeed, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we pursue these things of of self-discipline, of God's word, of fleeing when it's appropriate, of working with the Holy Spirit, we will indeed receive righteousness. We will be satisfied. And then the second question we need to consider this morning is do you hunger and thirst for righteousness in the world? Now, I think if you look around, you will agree with me that the world is full of unrighteousness. Right? It, we, have, we are trapped in a world with 24-hour news and endless news feeds, some of it real, some of it fake, but it's all depressing. Right? We see it is a world full of unrighteousness, of crime, of racism, of terrorism, of moral decay, of poverty, lack of safe drinking water, lack of nutritious food for millions, nuclear-armed dictators, the list goes on and on and on. How can we not be discouraged by it? But as citizens of God's kingdom, these situations are not things that should just concern us or depress us, and then we go to church and feel better. They should bother us to the point of action. As followers of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be content to just live safely in our little walled enclaves that we call churches while ignoring the lostness and depravity and misery outside our four walls. Jesus certainly did not. Everywhere he went, he addressed both spiritual condition and physical, moral, and mental condition. As his disciples, we are called to be just like his master. The people outside these walls who suffer from natural disasters, economic loss, agricultural failure, sickness, substance abuse, tyranny, or moral depravity were all people created in the image of God, just like you and me. God loves them, just as he loves you and me. God wants them to flourish and have abundant lives both in this life and in the eternal life to come, just as he does for us. And the good news is that he has made a provision for all those people to be cared for, and that provision is the church. 
followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who are already in the kingdom. There are things that we can and should be doing to relieve the misery of the world in the name of Jesus Christ and to introduce others to the kingdom of God that they may too one day profess faith in Christ and join the kingdom. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness in the world, we have a responsibility to actually be part of bringing that righteousness to the world. Not just liking it or disliking it on Facebook. Now to be clear, there will be no meaningful or lasting righteousness in the world apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? We always want to have a political solution, a policy solution, a charitable solution, or whatever, but none of those create lasting solutions to the problems of the world. We always have to remember that. Even as we are laboring to help the least among us, we always have to be at the heart of our understanding. And if more Christians would absorb this reality that lasting change comes only from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'd be a lot less shocked by what's going on in the world, and we'd be a lot more effective at engaging the culture around us. Because sinners are going to sin. So the church should stop being surprised about this or self-righteous when we see non-believers doing the things that we know are outside God's pattern for life, for a good human flourishing. They don't know that yet. They haven't been convinced. We need to remind ourselves as often as possible that God transforms people and cultures. We don't. So if we hunger or thirst for righteousness in the world, if we are desperate to see America stop decaying morally, we need to share the gospel. Because we're not going to change it just by being angry or self-righteous. God changes people. If we're desperate for righteousness in our community, in eastern Prince William County, in the world, we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our co-workers and our friends and our neighbors and our relatives and our enemies. And we need to be inviting someone to every Bible study that we go to. We need to be inviting people to church, even if they've never been before. Because we can't change people. Only God changes people. And He does so through His Word, through His Spirit, through the good news of His Son. Our job is to facilitate the introduction. If you're passionate about righteousness in the world, please, 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 get passionate about our reaching out pillar of our vision and our efforts to reach out more effectively in a more uh, organized and coherent fashion. This is a major part of our 2020 vision. This is probably the thing that will distinguish whether 20 years from now or 40 years from now or 100 years from now there is a vibrant church community at this corner or not. It's probably the one that's most challenging for us to effectively execute as a community of faith. We also need to be assured that the gospel of Jesus Christ has dramatically transformed cultures for 2,000 years. And it continues to fuel transformation around the world today, and it can fuel transformation in this neighborhood and in eastern Prince William County and in North America and in the world. So just as Christ showed compassion on the crowds, just as he did everything he could to care for, nourish, heal, teach, and address the spiritual condition that ultimately led to saving the people, we need to do what we can to combat unrighteousness and injustice where it exists in the world. We need that same hunger and passion and compassion that he had. 
But just like Jesus, we must never divorce that effort from the good news of Christ, because without that, we're powerless. So if you truly have that hunger for righteousness in the world, how do you avoid getting discouraged? Right? No matter how dark and depressing things may appear to be, be assured, you will be satisfied. You will be filled. Micah 6.8 reminds us, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to... If I had passport, do I have passport kids? You know this verse. Right? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. If you're acting for justice and righteousness while humbly and authentically living and presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to be satisfied because you are so thoroughly in God's will that regardless of the earthly outcome of the efforts, you know you are doing the work of God's kingdom and your satisfaction will be in Jesus Christ as he fills your every sacred craving. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, has had several of his key sermon points compiled into what's been called his rule of life. Now, he never presented it as a single thing, <clears throat> but it's sort of the bottom line from a lot, number of his sermons. And it reads, do all the good you can. See, I like this because it's very simple. You don't have to spend a lot of time equivocating. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. And when you think about this, you combine this and with his life, which was spent proclaiming the gospel, you begin to understand how our hunger for righteousness in the world is going to be satisfied. How we will be filled. Because if we are doing all of that, if we're doing everything we can to live out the command of Micah 6, 8, and we are walking closely with God, there is absolutely nothing more we could do for righteousness. We have left nothing back. We will find satisfaction in the company of God. So do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Please pray with me. Lord God, I pray that you will put into each of us a deep hunger to be more like your son, Jesus a deep hunger, a powerful thirst to live a life that's truly righteous. And Lord, I know we will fail sometimes. I know we will sin and fall short, and that's the beauty and the, uh, and the majesty and the glory of your grace, that through Christ those failures will be forgiven. But Lord, don't let that be an excuse for us to not hunger to be more like Jesus. Lord, make us a people every day desiring to be more holy, to be more righteous, to give, willing to give up those things we must in order to truly become like Jesus, to become Jesus to those around us who may advance your gospel. And Lord, I pray too, you will not let us sit back satisfied only with self-improvement, but that you would instill in us a lasting desire, both individually and as a church, to work for the advancement of your kingdom, to bring your righteousness to people who do not know it to bring the experience of your love to those who have not felt it. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.